thank you all for joining us today. Uh, for those of you who don't know me, Chris Collinette, the, the chair of the Ireland Canada Business Association. Um, we, uh, we represent over 100 members, uh, companies that uh, operate between Canada and Ireland. Uh, many, of course, are, 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 are with us today. Um, given the fact that uh, I think over 70% of our membership are actually Canadian companies here, we thought it would make sense to have uh, a little bit of a brief from our friends at the Canadian Embassy in, I in Ireland on the Canadian react, uh, government's um, response to COVID-19. Um, and so we're very pleased to have with us today um, the Acting Ambassador and Charge Affair, Sabina Noki, as well as the Senior Trade Commissioner, Suzanne Rinsdale, um, who will be taking us through some of the government's responses to date. Um, I, sh I should just say, um, I, I know both of them have been very busy. I know Sabina only recently arrived in, in Berlin. Um, but one of the focus points for, for, for them in the early weeks of COVID-19 were helping getting Canadians that were here in Ireland back home, and that's something that is obviously being replicated by the government and, and the different trade commissioners and emb embassies around the world. And also, um, um, and I know that Suzanne's been working hard on behalf of uh, Canadian um, uh, supply chain, Canadian governments on identifying uh, PPE and other uh, other forms of um, equipment which can which could help Canada during this time, which is is somewhat different than from her normal role, which is really helping Canadian companies expand into markets. Um, but it just goes to show the versatility of the Canadian trade service. So I'm just going to briefly uh, introduce Sabina, who some of you have not had the pleasure to meet. Um, she is a, a, a legal background. She's a BA, an MA, and an LLB from University of Western Ontario in, in London, Ontario, uh, followed with, by an LLM uh, in international law from the LSE, the London School of Economics. Uh, Sabina has been a um, bureaucrat, uh, sorry, a, um, a civil servant since, and, and a bureaucrat, a civil servant since 1992, um, and she's had a, a very a very celebrated career within the Canadian Foreign Service. Um, as uh, direct, uh, Director General of the Non-Proliferation um, and Security Threat Reduction Bureau, she served as the High Commissioner of Canada, High Commission of Canada in London, and also uh, on the Canadian delegation to the Organization for Security and Cooperation in Europe uh, in Vienna. She was the Ambassador to the Kingdom of the Netherlands and Permanent Representative to the, um, to, to I believe the, she was also the High Commissioner to, to Ghana recently. Um, and um, the permanent representative to the Organization for the Pro uh, Prohibition of Chemical Weapons. Um, we are also joined by Suzanne Drysdale, who most of you have met, I believe. Uh, Suzanne's a senior trade commissioner and has, um, is originally from Halifax, Scotia. Uh, she um, completed French studies um, and, and, and social anthropology um, as, as well in, in, in Quebec City. Suzanne, um, I think one of the interesting things, in addition to her work in, in trade commissions in Turkey and Czech Republic throughout her career, is that she spent a good bit of her time working at the Mars Discovery District in Toronto, which is Canada's largest innovation hub. So at this point, I might turn the uh, turn the, it, it over to Sabina and um, and let and Sabina and let Suzanne and her uh, tell uh, our, our guests about some of the reaction to recovery, uh, the, the um, reaction to the COVID-19 from the Canadian government. Thank you very much. All right. Uh, thank you. Um, and thanks for that introduction, Chris, and thanks to all of you guys for taking the interest and uh, the time to be here with us today. 
Of course, my um, oh, first of all, an apology. I'm suffering from COVID care, but I think we all are, so um, I'm just a little bit self-conscious about that. Um, the big question that I asked myself getting ready for today was, um, what would your interest in the presentation be? And of course, it really depends on where you sit. If you're a Canadian company and eligible to participate in the vast majority or at least some of the programming that I'll be talking about, then the interest will be great. If you're an Irish company sitting here in Ireland, you may not be able to participate. And so I'm trying to limit the, uh, the excessive detail that I might be presenting. But what you might get out of this um, uh, out of this presentation is some ideas that you could present to your government for how it could perhaps improve or modify or adjust its COVID response um, as concerns uh, the business community. So, so those are, those are, those are my, uh, my initial thoughts, you know, how to target this to the audience. I'll try and keep it relatively short so that you can ask the questions at the end that, that really would be the ones that bring you here, I should think. Um, so with that, uh, I'm going to launch right in, uh, and uh, we have the, uh, the initial slide here, which is the general one, um, Canada's response to COVID-19. I think the important thing that um, we, should, uh, we should say before we go into the next one um, is that uh, the response by the government has been uh, what we call whole of government and, and really uh, 360 degrees into every sphere of Canadian life. And I think that is absolutely important um, to note. Um, the principles that they're basing, that they've based their response on is, uh, and sometimes you can see interesting contrasts to that to um, south of our border up there where we live. Um, the first principle is collaboration. Uh, as you know, Canada is a, is a federation, so um, the relationship between the federal, provincial, and territorial governments has been absolutely key, and uh, nothing was done that hasn't been consulted um, in, in every direction. And of course, municipal stakeholders and uh, private sector as well have been consulted throughout the response. So collaboration is principle number one. Uh, the next one uh, is evidence-based decision-making, uh, which sounds um, you know, easier than it is, but uh, essentially our government takes the advice from experts and translates that into, uh, into programming and decision-making. Another one is proportionality. In other words, the response has to be proportionate both to the threat and to the impact of the threat. So, uh, well, the COVID isn't exactly a threat anymore, it's a reality. But proportionality of response and flexibility. Um, this is an unprecedented situation, as I think we all know, and uh, sometimes you don't get it right at the first instance. Well, in that case, what you do is you admit that things have changed, and you change, and you move on, and you do things better. So flexibility is built in, and you, we can see that, and we've seen this as an embassy in our um, constantly evolving instructions we get from headquarters. Sometimes it gets a bit much. You get three different sets of instructions overnight. Uh, but it's because, you know, we're all trying these things out for the first time. And then um, also very, very important, 
important for us is the use of established practices and systems. Don't reinvent wheels where you already have round flat objects available that can deliver and you just have to retool a little bit. And then of course the ethics of all of this. Um, some of this is based on, actually a lot of it is based on a pandemic uh, preparedness guideline um, that has been established after our um, experience with SARS in 2003. I don't know if you remember, but uh, SARS cost the Canadian economy billions of dollars. Uh, the city of Toronto alone, I think, took an over $1.5 billion hit economically through the disruption caused by that. And that, of course, um, allowed the government to, to base some of its guidelines on practical experience. Uh, but also uh, allowed it to have the credibility that these things were necessary. A pandemic after our SARS experience was no longer a theoretical possibility, it was real. Um, and you see on, on the slide, I won't repeat some of the, uh, some of the um, additional um, lessons that were drawn from that. Um, currently, um, we have a cabinet committee on the federal response uh, that was created in Mar on March 5th. So relatively early on, uh, it's chaired by Deputy Prime Minister Christian Freeland and vice chaired by the president of the Treasury Board or the uh, person who holds the purse strings in Canada, Minister Jean-Yves Duclos. And uh, they, they meet uh, regularly to ensure that the response, as I said, is whole of government and, and based on the latest information. Now, um, what are the elements? If you want to move on to the next slide, um, Suzanne. Yeah. Like I said, it's a very, very broad picture, and it is not just for business. And you see on the slide a number of the areas. The thing that we have been particularly engaged in as a mission, of course, is repatriation of Canadians. Um, so far, I think it's been something like 36,000 Canadians have been returned to Canada. Um, we add several hundred every day, sometimes in government chartered organized flights, sometimes on flights organized by allies. Uh, the Irish government has taken Canadians home. We've dropped Irish nationals off on the way back uh, to Canada, refueling in Dublin. So there's been a lot of cooperation globally on that. And uh, when we say the cost is $7 million, that's for the planes, but that's also for financial assistance granted to Canadians who couldn't afford their plane ticket home. Um, and the, the rest of the, uh, the items, I'm not going to get into great big detail because I think you're probably more interested in the economic aspects. So if you want to get into the next slide, Suzanne. Um, essentially... Um, the, uh, the economic risks were um, a driving force, and uh, the basic principle, you see with the first bullet there, avoiding layoffs, um, essentially rather than pay people employment or unemployment benefits, the government's response aimed at keeping them in their jobs, making it possible for business to, con to keep their employees so that they would be ready to... Uh, to be on the spot when the economy recovers, but also so that um, they, uh, you know, they don't they don't lose their jobs. We don't have people on the streets afterwards. Um, a, a much more interesting approach, I think, uh, personally, than uh, than unemployment insurance. And uh, the cost to the government is relatively the same. 
you know, whether you're keeping a business to keep somebody or whether you're paying them unemployment insurance is really a six to one half dozen to the other, but it's a philosophy behind it. Um, for, also for business, very important um, access to credit. And, uh, and I have some, uh, some more detailed uh, information on uh, what that entails uh, later on. Uh, youth employment. Of course, what happens when you have a mass layoff situation, it tends to be the people that get let go or do not get offered new jobs is the young people. So youth employment has been uh, covered in, in great detail with, um, with funding for student jobs, with funding for businesses to hire students, uh, including for the government itself. We are actively encouraged to hire students uh, as embassies as well and as government departments. Um, deferred tax payments. Again, this is something that doesn't prima facie cost the government immediate uh, dollars, but it helps businesses uh, who, who owe taxes. It allows them to defer these taxes for several weeks or months, actually. I think right now it's until the end of August. And again, flexibility means that deadline, that deadline might move depending on what happens. Um, there's also uh, assistance for self-employed individuals. These are people that often fall between the cracks. They have access to various financial programs, and I'm going to get into some of the details as that of that. Now, the last line, it says indigenous business. Um, that, I gather, um, means something different to Irish people than it does to Canadians. For us, for in Canada, indigenous means First Nations and Inuit. So it's, it's our um, Aboriginal population, as it were. And, and of course, uh, they, uh, they are particularly affected, especially up north, where it's very, very difficult to conduct business, uh, particularly when uh, air travel breaks down. Food security up there is an issue, getting the food into uh, areas that you can only access by plane. So there are speci specific needs up there. Now, um, on the support to, uh, to business, uh, getting specifically here, the, um, the, the bit that I mentioned earlier, the emergency wage subsidy, uh, I'll give you a little bit of detail just to get an idea of the scope. Uh, this, is, this targets any business who suffered a drop in gross revenue of at least 15% in March and 30% in April or May. Um, what it does, it covers 75% of employees' wages, or up to $847 Canadian a week. And uh, this is roughly comparable to unemployment insurance, which usually goes to 66% of wages and has a maximum uh, biweekly benefit as well. So, um, so that is the um, emergency wage subsidy. It also uh, offers uh, relief to contributors, uh, to employers who have to contribute to insurance and pension plans and uh, for employees who are otherwise on leave with pay. Um, there are temporary wage subsidies and uh, there's also a work sharing program. What that is, um, it's uh, employees who might be eligible for employment insurance or unemployment insurance, we, we call it employment insurance, but it's really unemployment, who agree to reduce their normal working hours because of developments that are beyond the control of the employees. So they, uh, they get uh, benefits and get to make up some of their lost wages. 
Then for businesses itself, uh, one of the important things is the business credit availability program. Now, what this is, uh, is the, um, the uh, Canadian um, Development Bank and the Export Development Corporation, which are working with private sector lenders to coordinate uh, credit solutions for individual businesses, particularly in sectors such as oil and gas, air transport, export and tourism, i.e. those currently hardest hit. And uh, I, can, I can give you the figures, but I think you probably would be less interested in that. What I would like to do at that point is I'll just hand the floor over to Suzanne for a moment to explain what the Export Development Corporation is, because that might be of interest to, uh, to some of you guys on the line here specifically. It's, uh, it's something that the uh, Irish uh, government doesn't have and uh, has been noted as a lacuna in your, in your toolkit. So, uh, Suzanne, if you just want to give a little bit of an um, explanation on the EDC, I think that would be helpful. Definitely. Thank you, Apologies for flipping all over the place. I'm still getting used to um, this, uh, doing the presentations on this, on this app. Export Development Canada is Canada's export credit agency, and normally um, what that means is it provides accounts receivable insurance to its exporters so that they get paid. There's lots of reasons why exporters might not get paid. It could be that the buyer in a foreign country goes bankrupt. Um, it could be that the, the, the contract is cancelled. There's also things like political risk insurance, and, and many countries have a version of that. They're not all the same. Um, and in the 2008 financial crisis, um, normally EDC's insurance and financing is only for international sales, but the government asked EDC to step in and provide domestic support to increase the uh, access that companies had to liquidity. And that was a two-year temporary measure, but it was kind of a trial period for what exactly Canada's doing again for this particular pandemic, which is through this business credit availability program, focusing on um, helping working with, with, with banks in Canada to give extra funding to Canadian companies. Now, there is uh, an element that might be of interest to companies here. There is a, the EDC office that covers Ireland is in London, uh, UK. They're covering several countries. Um, I actually had a good conversation with, with them last week, and uh, they would like to come to Ireland. I think their main focus is understanding they do a really good job of credit assessment and risk assessment of different countries. So even if you're an Irish company looking at exporting to Russia or China, you go to their website, they give really good risk analysis um, and really good economic forecasts and this kind of thing. So... They're one of the top-tier um, sources of credible information. They also provide financing for foreign com uh, com companies that want to invest in Canada if at least 50% of their production is then re-exported. So Irish companies that might um, set up uh, manufacturing in Canada and those that are already there can qualify for EDC support. Um, they're also getting more into the digital economy. It used to be they did, you know, bridges and large manufacturing firms, but they're actually really understanding the need to support the digital economy, the knowledge-based economy, and um, therefore looking at software and, and other things like that. They also provide direct financing for foreign buyers, Canadian goods and services. So large co uh, companies uh, in Ireland who might be looking at unique um, technology or, or solutions like in fintech, cybertech, um, life sciences. EDC can also provide financing directly 
to pay the buyer so that the Canadian company is then paid. It's a way of freeing up credit and, and cash for the Canadian company. The EDC representative in London, I just wanted to put out there that she is definitely interested in doing a separate webinar if you're interested for ICBA. I think it would also help give her, um, we, can, we can look at ways to do that, but give her uh, more um, understanding of the Irish market. Of course, right now everything's sort of in, uh, on, on a holding pattern, but I, think, um, I don't think she has spent a lot of time in the Irish market. She's had a few dealings with um, some companies, but I think that exchange would be really useful. So if there's interest, we can follow up and um, engage your interest in doing something like that. All right. Thank, thanks, Suzanne. Um, one, one thing worth mentioning, I think, is the, um, the loans that uh, the uh, Business Development Corporation can make available up to $40,000 interest-free to SMEs and uh, non-profits. So that, uh, that again, I think is a, is a very, very useful program. And then we have a commercial rent assistance um, where um, rent can be lowered by up to 75% for qualifying small businesses, uh, provides forgivable loans for commercial property owners to cover up to 50% of three monthly rent payments. Again, this is really to, to bridge people over this extremely difficult period. At this point, most of these programs are geared at three months, but uh, I think the uh, considerations will be ongoing as to whether or not to extend those. For youth, we have uh, student work placement programs. My own daughter is currently looking at, at one of those um, because it's, of course, uh, very, very difficult for students to find jobs, and those who had them lined up have found them evaporate. Um, we have um, youth employment skills strategy. That's to help develop skills and experience. There's a volunteer program for students where they can help volunteers, say, with a food bank or, or other COVID-related uh, um, measures, and they can get uh, essentially a grant in return for their volunteer time. So it's not quite a job, but it has a very similar impact. So lots of innovative uh, strategies coming out, that, out of that. And then there's the income tax deferral. I've mentioned that as well. And a deferral of, uh, of tax payments uh, such as uh, the sales tax that you have to hand over to the government on a quarterly basis. You can defer making those payments and that keeps the cash flow going. Um, then for self-employed and indigenous populations, we have the famous CERB, the CERB, uh, that's the Canada Emergency Response Benefit. That is a taxable benefit of $2,000 every four weeks for up to 16 weeks for all eligible workers who've lost their income. And the response period on that, I think, from what I've heard, is uh, you apply for it online, you get approved online and can be in your bank account within three or four days so that's a, that's a very that's a, just an incredible and, and very wide uh, and widely appreciated program um, I think those uh, those are the, the main ones that I want to mention then we've got um, sector specific industry support of course um, for such uh, for particularly affected sectors such as agriculture agri-food aquaculture fisheries, for cultural heritage and sports, air transport, tourism, energy, etc., etc., and most of those are um, 
you know, government subsidized, for example, air transport, the government is subsidizing flights of essential goods and services up north, um, or um, as, as well as uh, keeping the air bridge to Europe open. I mean, right now our Air Canada planes, I think, fly with half a dozen passengers at times, but it's really, really important to keep that bridge open and available so the government is subsidizing those flights. So, uh, so it's a very, very wide-ranging approach, I think, um, very innovative. And let's not forget that most of that has been put together by people who, like us, are working from home. So uh, the entire um, approach, I think, has both in its um, concept but also in its execution really forced Canada to look at ways of doing things differently, doing things um, remotely for one thing, using different platforms, new platforms, new means, new approaches. And that, I think, uh, leads us to uh, some of the potential benefits from, uh, from this uh, particular pandemic, namely that um, we have really been shaken up in the way we do business. Uh, we have been shaken up in the way we just run our daily work and uh, our expectations and our assumptions. Um, will we still have urban centers? you know, 10 years from now when people have realized they can actually do the same job from their living room and it doesn't really matter whether their living room is in the center of Dublin or in a small island off the coast. So um, all of these things are starting to uh, really feature, I think, into our thinking uh, and so the thinking of the Canadian government in how to move forward and get us, get us out from the pandemic. And that, I think, is a very good segue into uh, a small advertisement for a conference that's going to be happening in Toronto um, was supposed to happen, of course, um, physically and will now be happening virtually. And uh, that's Collision, which, of course, has a very strong Irish connection. So, Suzanne, over to you on Collision. And I haven't figured out how to just show myself, so I hope this is fine. I think we can see four of us. Um, as you know, Collision normally happens in Toronto, and it was started by Patty Cosgrave of Web Summit. And we've seen many, many conferences and events canceled, and Collision was one of the first early, I'd say, decisions made very, very quickly in March. We're not doing it live, we're doing it all digital. I think that was kind of a surprise. It was one of the first big events to kind of make a decision without having a lot of information. And just as Sabina said, it, it does challenge everyone to think, how is this going to work virtually? Um, it's one of the largest technology events in the world. It's the fastest growing in North America. And uh, it's over three days, 30,000 attendees. Global Affairs Canada has always participated. What we do at some of these big events is we, we try to promote the best of Canadian innovation in different themes. And we try to attract foreign buyers and investors. So normally at this particular event, we get a lot of multinational companies, but also BC, venture capital, and investors a lot from Silicon Valley. Um, I argue that this year's version is actually even more global uh, because, you know, we can all participate online. And part of the reason I'm really interested to go is to see how we're going to do this online. It's one thing to attend uh, webinars and sessions, and that part is, is going to be interesting. So there's some great speakers. Um, I went through the, uh, the program. We have things like people like the president of Microsoft, um, the CEO of Nokia, we have WhatsApp's global head of marketing, IKEA's chief digital officer, so you can see a lot of different different sectors. 
Apparently, Sophia the robot is going to speak from Hanson Robotics. They even have a photo of her. I'm sure she'll be really popular. Um, Survey Monkeys, Chief Marketing Officer. We have a lot of, as I mentioned, investors from Silicon Valley. Throw in a few um, celebrities, journalists. So there's a lot going on there. There's a lot to choose from. And the themes are really diverse. Um, some of the themes are, you know, marketing, advertising, social media, social things like health, politics, climate change, um, a lot of IT and tech and, and artificial intelligence, privacy and security, robotics. There's a lot of sessions on e-commerce, fintech, retail. Uh, there's a whole lifestyle section, cars and mobility, fashion, sports. And I think all of these topics are going to be viewed through the lens of the new reality of doing business throughout and after this pandemic. So I, I can't think of any company that something wouldn't be relevant to them in these discussions. Um, I'm encouraging those of us who are attending from the embassy to already start looking at and planning which parts we're going to participate in. Some examples of some of the themes. Now, some of these are, you know, 20 minutes, 30 minutes but with really top-tier C-suite speakers. So uh, some of the ones that really caught my eye were Travel in the Time of No Travel by Booking.com, the founder of Booking.com. Why you should start a company during a recession, which is done by a panel of uh, Silicon Valley investors. Recruiting in a recession. Um, uh, love during a lockdown by the CEOs of Match and Plenty of Fish, the dating uh, apps. So, you know, it'll be a really interesting insight into, you know, life uh, as we know it and as we don't know it yet. Um, the other interesting thing about it is Ontario, the office of Ontario that's in London, is going to do a virtual trade mission to uh, Collision. So we're working with Ontario, our embassy in Dublin, as well as our embassies in Paris and Munich to recruit companies from these countries um, interested in participating in this official virtual mission. Now, anybody can participate. You can buy a ticket online. But if you are, in particular, um, a foreign company that's, as I mentioned, the target would be a buyer of Canadian technology or an, uh, you know, a firm that's interested in collaborating with Canadian companies or investing in Canadian companies, you can apply to become part of this virtual mission. Um, I'd be happy to assist with that. And, and my colleagues, there's also going to be Part of joining the mission is that we will be organizing B2B matchmaking, which is normally what the Trade Commissioner Service does. A lot of what we do is putting people together that have common interest to um, result in something good, a sale or a new innovation or new funding. And there's also going to be virtual yeah. So depending on what the interests are, whether it's a site visit to Mars Discovery District or Communitech, um, those are things that would be offered as a participant. There is no fee to participate in the virtual mission. Now, in terms of the tickets, I'll just mention, um, when you think about what it would normally cost to go on this, to this event in Toronto, you'd be looking at the flight, uh, the meals, the hotel, all of that would add up. Um, the tickets right now are $122 US. Um, I, I, uh, you can get blocks of tickets as well, and they will go up a little bit after May 28th. Um, you get access to all the speakers, you get access to networking. I don't know what that means, so partly I'm really curious to see, instead of doing, for example, you go to these events and there's a networking reception, how are they going to do it digitally? I think I'm most curious to see how that will work, and um, because I think we, as the Trade Commissioner Service, 
are also trying to reinvent ourselves during this time and figure out how can we be more useful, valuable. Normally we would host events at our embassy or at our official residence or, you know, bring people together at trade shows. So now we're looking at ways to do that with technology. So um, I'll follow up with more information. There's the link there. And uh, anyone interested in learning more about this mission, we'd be happy to hear from you. All right. I, I think we uh, yeah. I think we need to move on to questions. Um, I don't know who's going to moderate the questions. Um, is that going to be you, Chris? Or, sure. Uh, yeah, I've got a couple of questions here, and I'd like, like to thank both of you for a very comprehensive presentation. Um, I have to say I've been impressed over the last eight weeks with. The, the pace at which the Canadian government has responded and, and, and also uh, the Prime Minister's daily con press conferences where he's, he's announcing uh, different initiatives. Um, and, 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 and it's interesting to perhaps compare and contrast some of the programs and assistances that the Irish government has given out with the Canadian. Um, we've got a couple questions. Um, so the first one um, is, has construction resumed in Canada? Um, and then what is the status of the Western Pipeline? Now, with regards to the pipeline, I think we could have <laughs> an entire webinar just on that. So perhaps maybe you could just give us an overview of which provinces have started loosening up restrictions and, and where do you think people are getting back to business and how that's going to impact construction, which is obviously an interest uh, actually from Sean Finley, one of our members. Yeah, all right. Um, the immediate answer to that question would be I don't know because um, – as you know, um, Canada, as I mentioned earlier, we, uh, is divided into provinces and territories, and the response in, uh, in terms of um, closing up businesses has differed from province to province. Canada is also about a month behind Europe on the whole reopening. The, uh, the uh, virus came to us somewhat later than it did to, to Europe, so... Our response, uh, we are not where you are here in Ireland, for example. Some of our provinces, New Brunswick, is, uh, has been case-free for the last week. Um, Prince Edward Island has been pretty much case-free. So, so they are looking at reopening, but a blanket reopening has not happened and has not happened in any of the provinces. We are still all looking at, uh, at relaxing the uh, the restrictions. So in some areas, you know, private construction has been allowed to continue. Um, if you can do it uh, socially distant, um, but uh, so the lockdown hasn't been, for example, as complete in some provinces as it has been here in Ireland. Um, so I think the easy answer is it depends. It depends. Okay. Thank you. And on the with Western regards pipeline, yeah, on the Western pipeline, uh, I don't have a comprehensive response ready, but uh, as you can uh, imagine, of course, the oil industry has been just about the hardest hit. Uh, somewhere halfway through the pandemic, oil was at zero dollars a barrel. So um, it has been, um, shall we say, not been an enormous priority to build pipelines right now because that whole. Uh, image that whole picture I think is in the process of being uh, very much reassessed and uh, yeah in principle it's going ahead in practice we shall see thank you very much so we have another question here I, I also see my colleague Deirdre Giblin has emerged on video or I guess everybody's emerged on video just cognizant that if Deirdre's emerged on video it might mean she wants to speak but she's 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 on mute for now um 
Uh, a question from James Kelly, who is the managing director, or the president of the Ireland Canada University Foundation, which I'm sure you're you're familiar with. With regards to the IEC program, wondering when it might resume. The the, the the foundation has a number of scholars that tra- are due to travel to Canada for work in 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 the fall, and um, I'd like to know what what the status is. Yeah, that, that is one that keeps changing and, in fact, changed as recently as Friday. Um, in principle, if you have an IEC visa and you have a job to go to, you can travel to Canada and take on that job subject to the uh, general rules for travelers coming into the country, 14 days of self-isolation, etc. Um, if you don't have a job yet, you can't go, and that's no. Um, it, it used to be the, the the issue was the visa. You had all your visa lined up, you're fine. But now you actually have to prove um, before boarding the plane that there is a job waiting for you. So you need to have evidence of that. So whether or not um, the deadlines will be extended for visa holders, you have a certain amount of time in order to be able to execute on your visa. That is still a matter of discussion, and uh, it honestly, it can change daily. And we uh, we sometimes are at the mercy of our sister department, Immigration, Refugees, and Citizenship Canada, in terms of how they make their decisions and how they publicize them. Uh, so... Um, we don't know where they're headed there. They don't necessarily share that information. And uh, we will tell you when we have updates, and we usually put those on Twitter. So if you follow our embassy, you can get the updates on uh, on IEC issues um, uh, through through our um, website. That's okay. right, through our Twitter feed. Thank you very much, Sabina. Um, and I, I, I encourage James to... Deal with the embassy directly on, on queries with regards to the. Yeah, we tend to refer um, these re- inquiries actually to our colleagues in London because we don't actually have an immigration section here. Right. But uh, but if he sends us an, an email, we'll direct it uh, to the person who can answer the more detailed questions. Yes, absolutely. That's great. So the next question is from Austin Comerton, who's with Irish Radio in, in Ottawa. Um, in recent years, a number of Canadians have, or Canadian companies have invested heavily in Ireland. Have you seen or has the closing down of travel had any impact on these companies or any of these uh, companies suffered to the point of concern? I suppose I'd like to say let's hope not. Um, and and I'm, I think that we've certainly seen a lot of Canadian tech companies invest here in the previous years. For example, Shopify, who, of course, have all their remote workers, all the workers working remotely. I suppose from the embassy perspective um, and Suzanne's perspective as the senior trade commissioner, are you concerned that uh, coronavirus might slow investment or um, into Ireland from Canadian companies, which is a very legitimate and, 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 quite, and uh, apropos question? Yeah, you want to take that one? Sure. It's a, it's a very good question, and it's one that we, we are concerned about. I think um, it would be the same, the opposite way. I think everyone is waiting to see and, and trying to support companies as much as we can. So one thing the Embassy's Trade Section has been doing uh, and also I'd say with support of ICBA, is reaching out to Canadian companies in Ireland for one-on-one discussions, um, sometimes virtually through Zoom or, or um, Microsoft Teams. To um, We always try to do that anyway, I'd say, to maintain a relationship, uh, but also to find out how people are doing with, with the pandemic. And, and the results so far, I mean, we're, we're working through the list. It's, it's interesting because some 
um, are, are quite optimistic, especially those in technology. They're pivoting, they're reinventing themselves, or whatever they were doing is actually even more in demand because it was a technology that was addressing a need uh, remotely or virtually. Um, I guess I shouldn't be mentioning any specific companies, but uh, there are some that are offering things that are now in more demand. However, the target customer they were dealing with, like an airline or a hotel, may no longer be um, the right customer, and they've had to shift their business model. So partly what we do is the trade commissioner service. Part of our service is to uh, ensure that the company remains competitive. We help them expand to possibly new buyers. Part of it is, is understanding the lay of the land in Ireland. So all of that is a continuous process. Um, I think they're obviously face-to-face is still really important, and I think culturally, I mean, that's one great thing why Canadian and, and Irish um, do so well together is, is such a comfortable cultural uh, familiarity and, and face-to-face is never, you know, you're never really going to replace it with having a pint in the, in the pub or, or meeting someone. But I think, um, I think that's where the, the companies that can adapt and be more agile and use uh, these platforms and, and if, the more we can adapt the way we provide our services, that will, um, won't totally replace face-to-face, but um, the lack of travel, you know, it does, it does impact. We always say to companies, make sure you visit the market. Make sure you meet people in person. And uh, we've had to rethink that. We also give, you know, cultural um, suggestions about how, all over the world, how do people do business in this culture? So for Ireland, we said, oh, you go for a pint, you shake hands, and now all those things are, are illegal. So we've had to rethink uh, how to support Canadian companies in doing business here. But um, I guess it's still a bit early to tell, but uh, there's still a lot of hope. Yeah. It's interesting you, you mentioned Shopify, though, because uh, Shopify, as of two weeks ago, is now the single most valuable company in Canada. It is one of the companies whose business model has actually benefited from the pandemic because now even your mom and pop shop is, is doing online ordering. Mm-hmm. So they have uh, had a huge increase in, in their business platform. That's great. Well, thank you. And so, Austin, just to be clear, and neither the embassy or ourselves at the, at, at the association have, have heard of any Canadian companies not investing in Ireland, but presumably they'll, they'll, they'll be pivoting and there'll be some things will slow down, but uh, nothing. No one's going to close up shop just yet. Um, and I just want to clarify, Suzanne, our senior trade commissioner, isn't actually saying it's illegal to have a pint of Guinness in Ireland. It's just, it's just recommended that you don't do that. I, I don't want there to be a headline out there now. Thank you. <laughs> um, I, I, I might say we're at the end of our questions. Uh, this is, if anybody else has any questions, I, I, I'd encourage them to, to join in. This has been extremely beneficial, I think, um, and, and it's a testament to our, 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 our diplomats to see the, 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 um, the, the breadth and the, the strength that, that both of you have on the various issues. So it's very, very helpful. Um, I note, uh, Kate, you, there were some questions before, I think. Would you like to share some of those questions? Um, uh, your microphone's off, Kate. They've come in already, Chris. Thank well, they you. have come in. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Well, if anybody else has any questions, now's the time. So, um, dear, Hello. Do you, oh, yes. Uh, hi, folks. Um, Frank? I, I don't know if there's any of my colleagues from uh, the Department of Foreign Affairs uh, present, but uh, if not, I'd just like to, uh, first of all, thank you for the, the, the opportunity to join in. And uh, was, we were very disappointed in British Columbia that... Uh, 
ICBA didn't make it over, but uh, hopefully it will come next year. Yeah. Yeah, well, we, it wasn't our choice, Frank. <laughs> yeah. But, but maybe after this uh, webinar, maybe we might uh, discuss a virtual trade mission. Mm-hmm. And uh, we'll see, because there's a lot of interest coming over. And um, I suppose just to, to, to flag, um, of course, Canada is such a huge country. Um, that British Columbia has been very fortunate um, for it has the lowest COVID-19 incidence rate um, in all of the Northern Hemisphere for any jurisdiction of 5 million people. Um, the last time I saw it was 131 deaths, uh, unfortunate deaths, but um, it hasn't really closed down, um, certainly as much as, as Ireland or a lot of the countries in Europe. So construction never stopped, for instance. Um, and um, a lot of the Irish here, um, especially young Irish, are involved in the construction side. And uh, I'm reliably told that uh, within two months there will be a skill shortage. That they are already looking for people um, to work on it. Um, there is talks of uh, with Enterprise Ireland of, of uh, linking in on the construction side. And I know in Kirimat the, uh, the pipeline started again. There is a major issue, unfortunately, um, the disagreements between the hereditary chiefs and the elected chiefs. And there was an agreement done with the uh, with the uh, hereditary chiefs because there was a lot of demonstrations about that, which uh, affected at federal level. But unfortunately, um, the hereditary chiefs, which is quite understandable, have now said, well, well what's the situation with us? Nothing was agreed with us. So, but otherwise, I will say... Um, BC is, is beginning to open up. It's about to move into what would be phase two in Ireland. Um, the, the only thing that was actually closed down was bars, restaurants, and casinos. The tourism industry taking a huge hit. And that's a big, that's the biggest sector for, um, for BC and the aviation. But uh, that's, that's a, a global issue. But no, um, certainly if anybody is interested in doing business um, in Canada, I would urge them to certainly consider uh, BC as part of their uh, their considerations. And uh, I would also like to, just to thank uh, the Canadian Embassy in Dublin for all their collaboration, for getting people home. Um, I know we even have got uh, a Canadian-Irish person home from, uh, from Dublin to Vancouver, uh, and I know there's lots on the flights. So uh, in times of trouble, it's great to be working with your friends. And uh, thanks for having me on the call this morning. Those are some lovely closing sentiments, and so I, I think I would say um, thank you very, very much, Frank, for, for adding that in. Um, I note Deirdre has gone off uh, mute, so uh, Deirdre, would you like to add something? Nothing to say, but you've done a great job, Chris, as always. As one of your vice chairs, I'm always here to support you. Thank you. Thanks to our embassy colleagues, as always. Thank brilliant. you very much. Thank you. Great yeah. to hear from Frank. And thank you. And as I said in my little chat note, I hope that at one point we will all get to meet in person. That would be lovely because it's been uh, one of my great regrets that I've come here and uh, basically the place shut down. So <laughs> so one of, one of these days I hope to be able to do what diplomats do, which is shake hands, have a glass of wine and talk in a corner and get the real information you know, face-to-face, because uh, otherwise uh, our job would not be uh, as successful as it, as it can be. So I hope to be able to do that one of these days. 
Well, we, we right. hope so as well. We hope so as well, Sabina. So yeah. thank you very much, everybody, for joining us today. We You're listening to Irish Radio Canada at Home and Abroad, and we have just heard from a fantastic webinar uh, that was organized by the Irish Canada Bus Ireland Canada Business Association in Dublin and had some representatives from the Canadian Embassy in Dublin. And you heard uh, our consul in Vancouver, Frank Flynn, at the end there chatting and talking about some of the... Uh, situation that exists here and Frank is here with me but also on that call was John Boyle and John is at the embassy here in Ottawa um, thanks guys first of all for coming along but Frank can I come to you first and say I was very pleasantly surprised to hear your comment that the economy is such in Vancouver that there's a potential skills shortage going to happen very quickly well I think then there is 400,000 people unemployed at the moment in British Columbia. And um, that's a very serious situation, of course. However, British Columbia was not as affected uh, as uh, most many other countries, and uh, certainly less than uh, Ontario and Quebec. Um, to, that, uh, to date, I think it's um, 131 deaths, uh, unfortunate deaths have occurred. But um, there was very strong leadership here, and the, the BC worked in collaboration with the rest of Canada on the federal side, um, and they were fortunate with their spring break, so we didn't have the, the people leaving BC going south and then coming back again, and the, the, the clamp down and the close down had, had, covered, had already occurred, so that was a great help, which then, then meant that uh, the, the shutdown wasn't as strict. And construction kept going um, all the way through. There was difficulties. Uh, the construction sector, and I must say, it's uh, uh, been a great collaborative effort at provincial level and federal level, um, brought forward the guidelines. And it was agreed with the unions and with the developers and uh, with all concerned, and with the, of course, with the, with the provincial health officer. Um, and they've been employing those. So construction has never stopped. And there's a lot of the young Irish particularly uh, involved, some of whom went home, um, especially those who uh, were near the end of their two-year visas and were thinking of going home anyhow. So you have the situation where the, the work is basically taken off again. All the building sites are in, and the construction is, in, is, um, is very active. And uh, they're now looking, looking for, for people already. So... The point was made to be by a number of Irish on the construction side that in two months' time they will look for people. Um, I would stress very, very much that since last Friday, there's even people with visas must have a letter of unemployment to travel to Canada, as well as the 14-day quarantine. So you need three items in order to travel to Canada to work, and to Vancouver and BC, you need your visa, you need a current and active job offer, letter of offer, and then you must do your 14 days quarantine, which they take very seriously here. So, Frank, over the past number of months, uh, particularly taking February, March, April, and now we're into May, the last three months, um, the community itself, the Irish community within your region there, how have things been? Because it's been very difficult for anybody to kind of keep a real finger on the pulse. But how are they coping? 
But the coping is very, as well as, as can be expected, and to be honest, our husband and Miral, it's a very stressful time. But they, um, under the, the leadership of Irish Courtney and the Irish Women's Network, um, they formed a uh, Irish COVID-19 support group, and uh, they've had Zoom webinars now since uh, the end of March, and sometimes three times a week, sometimes two times a week, sometimes five times a week, uh, as is needed. And um, if any of your readers there, if you want to um, Google the, the um, Irish Global Newsletter, which is produced by the Department of Foreign Affairs, and um, the work of that group uh, has featured uh, globally, and um, it was picked out by Minister Cannon, Carol Cannon, mm-hmm. who was uh, in British Columbia last St. Patrick's Day, along with Sydney, uh, as examples of the Irish community coming together uh, to support each other. And, uh, various initiatives. I'm sure you have a busy schedule, so if you need to break away, I'll let you, and then I'll pick up with John. You're listening to Irish Radio Canada, and we heard there from um, Council in Vancouver, Frank Flood, uh, and prior to that we had been at the webinar in Dublin provided by the Ireland Canada Business Association with members of the Embassy staff from Canada in Dublin. Well, John Boylan is here in Ottawa, and uh, John arrived in uh, probably with enough time to get his feet on the ground and then to have to go into some degree of social distancing. But John was on the uh, webinar, and I'm delighted to have him here. John, thanks a million for coming along. And um, from what you heard and the uh, what you're seeing. Uh, what are your thoughts, what, what are your reflections on what was being shared at the webinar? Uh, thanks, Austin. Yeah, it was, uh, it was great. I mean, first of all, they gave us, they gave us a rundown of what the, the Canadian government's response has been to the COVID-19 uh, pandemic. Now, obviously, this isn't uh, news to us, those of us living in Canada, um, but the, the depth and the breadth of the, of the Canadian government's response has been extremely impressive, um, as has been their flexibility in amending some of those measures and that, that's one thing that stood out to me or has, has stood out is that you know this has all been formulated all this economic stimulus and physical and monetary policy it's been formulated extremely quickly and so there's obviously some trial and error there and the fact that they're, they're being so open uh, in how they're, they're tweaking certain measures uh, th- this should be extremely encouraging to, to anyone living and working in Canada that they're, that they're, um, that they're open to that to that need really to see how things work uh, and then to, to amend them and, and change them as necessary. Um, I think in terms of where we're at, uh, and this was reflected in, in the webinar, it was very useful. You know, everyone seems to have kind of weathered that, that initial storm of discomfort, you say, you know, change routines and ways of working and all of that kind of thing. And, and everyone is now really looking, uh, if not already down the road, of getting back, uh, getting back to what they used to do in any way they can. So figuring out, right, well, how do we, if we can't meet anymore, um, especially as diplomats, for example, you know, we're meant to get out there and meet people, establish relationships. Well, how do we do that now that we can't do it, you know, in person, which is obviously the optimal way. So what you see is now uh, this emergence of virtual meetings, webinars, conferences, all this stuff happening online. And this is something that a lot of people, and I'll put my hand up uh, guiltily and say myself, before the pandemic, this is stuff, things, webinars and things like that, I would have ignored them. Um, not ignored them, I wouldn't have been as, as engaged with them, but now they're, they're the only show in town. Uh, so you see this kind of stuff being being embraced across the board. Uh, a good example that was that was mentioned on the webinar was this collision conference, which is a huge conference that happens in Toronto, 
um, many, many thousands of people. And that's moving online now. So from, from you know, the small webinar we just had with whatever, 10, 20 people, to something with thousands of people, it can all be done online. It can all be, be, be moved like that. It's just a case of, of making the most of things. And that's, that's what's kind of encouraging is this can-do attitude. Um, across sectors, across industries, to, to just <laughs> do whatever we can. It's not the same. It's not as good, uh, but it's something, you know, and, and it's encouraging to see. Um, another thing that came from the call uh, that was very apparent was the work that the Canadian Embassy in Dublin and the Trade Commissioners there are doing. They're clearly on the ball. They've been reaching out to Canadian companies in Ireland, getting a picture of, of how the landscape has changed for those companies and, and figuring out how they can you know, assist those companies to, to adapt their operations to, you know, they mentioned that a lot of their target audience might change, so some of them would have been selling to retail and to hotels, and they've now had to to, to change whatever it is they do and, and find new customers, so they're, they're helping with that. Um, yeah, they, they were the main takeaways. Uh, one other encouraging thing I just wanted to mention, it didn't actually come up in the call, but it's in Canada, it's, it's the, the complementarity of the, the physical and the monetary policy approaches, so the Bank of Canada has really impressed me here um, in terms of, of the role of central bank. It, its public-facing communication has been has been very good, um, which is something that, that can sometimes be lacking with central banks. Um, here, the, the, the measures they've taken have complemented the, the government's physical spending and stimulus, uh, and I think the central bank's role just cannot be understated. You know, prudent, prudent banking over the years has led the Bank of Canada the credibility to do whatever it needs to do during mm-hmm. the crisis, and they're doing that now. And that's the real power of, of the central bank. You know, it's, it's the ability to, to they'd never say this, but print money. Um, and it's, it's effectively what, what good central banks are doing now, and it's what they should be doing. So I just wanted to, to mention that. I think they're doing a, a great job as well. Dean, well, John, we'll wrap up here, and uh, you and I need to catch up on a more in-depth on a whole variety of things when um, things get moving again. And right. and you get you're able to get out and meet people face to face and all those good things and you get the opportunity to go across the country and experience the breadth of this country and the Irish influence from coast to coast. Yeah, it's it's it's, it's pretty big. Uh, <laughs> I've only managed to get to Toronto and Montreal so far, right. unfortunately. Right. Indeed. Well, okay. we've. Go ahead. Sorry. Yeah, no. So anyway, we'll wrap up. John, thanks a million, as I say, and. Um, uh, you are listening to our Radio Canada at home and abroad and uh, uh, do come back to us again next week where we'll have another edition for you.